You are now listening to Creative Masters. This is the podcast where we interview musicians, photographers, directors, comedians, designers, and other creatives to discuss how they got started, how they got past those bumps in the road, and how they built a career off their creativity. So let's get right into it. I'm your host, and I'm Team Double Machine Masters to bring you Creative Masters. Now let's start the show. What's going on, everybody? This is Reggie, aka Nobody Famous. You're listening to the Creative Masters podcast. As usual, if you haven't listened to previous episodes, you can go back and listen to those. We have a new site up, creativemasterspodcast.com, so you can find all of the episodes there as well as some blog posts. And we'll also be found on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and iTunes. And if you would, please go to iTunes and rate and review us and share it out with your friends. We would greatly, greatly appreciate that. This week we have a very special guest, actually two guests. We have Brie and Thais from the Amplify Collective. They're two talented ladies out of Los Angeles doing great things out there. So this episode, we get into a lot of dope stuff. Usually I always write down a bunch of questions, which I also did for this episode. But once we got to talking, it just kind of went where it went and we went off script. And I think it was a very dope episode. We got into things such as faith and abundance and following your heart and those omens and that intuition. So if you've read The Alchemist and things like that, that we've also talked about with other guests on previous episodes we kind of get to those kind of things in this episode and i think that you guys will get a lot of value out of it in this episode we talk about the importance of finding a coach or a mentor and having them help you get to the next level in your career i made the big decision and i invested in my coach that was twenty-five thousand dollars. and like i said i was not making a lot of money it was a huge decision mm-hmm. and uh, i just knew that i needed that type of support in order for me to create the results i wanted and then we talk about if you don't know what you want to do in life or you don't know what your creative passion is what you should do to figure it out start like literally throwing shit at the wall and see what sticks yep like go take a painting class go take a ceramics class go write for a week go i mean there's a million different things that you could go experience we also talk about getting scrappy and hustling and making it happen for yourself and i had to get scrappy i had to like get my butt on the phone and call people and invite them to work with me i had no other option and that scrappiness, that decision to remove my ego and to make those phone calls and to put myself out there is no doubt what has allowed me to be confident in who I am. We get into these things and so much more on episode 12 of the Creative Masters podcast featuring Brie and Thais of the Amplify Collective. So sit back, relax, and be inspired. everybody this is reggie aka nobody famous you're listening to the creative masters podcast today we have two guests actually some very creative ladies uh, fashion designer authors entrepreneurs uh, just business owners just all around really really dope guests so i'm gonna let them kind of tell you who they are and what they do but brie and thais how are you guys doing today hi good how are you doing well thanks for coming on to the podcast um it's the first time i actually having two at one so it's kind of new for me but i think we'll uh have a lot of fun doing it this way we'll have fun yeah, yeah. definitely so uh i guess just each of you give like you know a 60 second 90 second elevator speech of who you are where you're from what you do and we'll go from there awesome so we met last year um we both had the same business coach we've both been running our own coaching businesses and we kind of accidentally came together in August of last year 
to create this movement, which didn't start out as a movement. It started out as one event, which led to another event and another event and another event. And then all of a sudden in a year we've hosted, I think like what, over 20, 30 sold out events. Nice. Um, And so we really sat down the beginning of this year and said, we're going to take this seriously. We wrote up a partnership agreement. We developed like a business plan and started doing strategy and um, attacking it full force. And yeah, that's, the short of it, I guess. <laughs> awesome, awesome. And as you notice, you know, this podcast is about creativity and basically how creative entrepreneurs, photographers, musicians, whoever have started and where they got to where they're at now. So how about you guys give us a little um, insight onto your creative backgrounds and kind of what you do and how you got started in that? Well, what I actually, what I love about this question is I never considered myself to be a creative. Mm-hmm. I always thought that being creative meant uh, being an artist in some capacity. And I, the more I started to step into my power as a writer, I actually started my business, um, four years ago as a blogger. And the more I started to get creative around my writing style and about expressing myself through the art of writing, the more I realized that creativity doesn't have to look like putting paint on, you know, a piece of paper. It could mm-hmm. be anything as long as it's that energy of being open to possibilities and, and feeling uh, intuitively what excites you about life and going after it full force. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, creativity in, in my book, it can come from anywhere. And that could be, I mean, it could be in business as well as writing and, you know, painting, as you said, music, or whatever. So I definitely uh, understand that. And for the longest time, even though I was creating music and, and even drawing, I didn't really kind of see myself as a creative until like later on. And once I stepped into it and got a little bit more serious about it, I was like, oh yeah, I am doing some creative stuff. So um, yeah, I, t- I totally understand. So let's kind of step back. You guys said you were um, had the same coach and Thais, I was, I was listening to her interview with you. I think it was Entrepreneur on Fire. And you said that she stepped out and you did the, um, the whole coaching thing with like this high-end coach. So what made you guys, what made you uh, specifically want to reach out and go to, uh, you know, be, have a coach, I should say. Yeah, that's a great question. So I was actually at a full-time job and I've known that I wanted to run my own business for about three years at that point. Uh, but I didn't know how to do it and, and make money doing what I love. And it's so funny. I wanted to add to your previous question that, you know, running a business is a form of creativity. It's a form of art and mm-hmm. it's, uh, in order to fully express myself in my business, I knew that I needed support and I needed to, bring in the money required for me to live on my own and be on my own in my business. And so I knew that I wanted to go into my business full time and I knew that I wanted to move to LA. And those are two big decisions. And because I'm one of those rip the bandaid type of gals, I was like, I'm just going to do it all at the same time. And, uh, So it was January of 2015 when I decided I was going to move to LA in June and I was going to go into my business full time and I was looking at my money situation and I was making less than $1,000 in my business at that time and that's obviously not sustainable and I knew that I needed someone that could really motivate me and uh, one of the things that I quickly have learned is that when we make lower investments, even though they sound really good like $1,000 for a year-long program, as much as we may hope that that $1,000 will go towards something that will change us after a few months we kind of dwindle out it's not Mm -hmm. it doesn't lead us into the action that's required in order to create the results that we want and so I 
I made the big decision and I invested in my coach that was $25,000. And like I said, I was not making a lot of money. It was a huge decision. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just knew that I needed that type of support in order for me to create the results I wanted. Yeah, that's interesting because I always find that when you, um, it's kind of like the le- like the amount of money you spend, the more invested you're going to be in, in the process, like you said. So, I mean, if you spend $1,000 for a year, it's like it's very easy to kind of tell off. And I forget what I read not too long ago, but it was kind of talking about like online courses and you could spend, you know, like $300, $400 for a year of online courses. But if nobody's really checking in on you and you didn't really put that much money into it, you might not, you could just quit and nobody's going to really hold you accountable. But if you spend twenty five grand, you're going to make sure you get your money's worth and put in that effort to get the most out of that coaching Totally. So, yeah, yeah. I, I totally get that. And let me ask you, too, what made you want to just say, you know, quit your job and move? Where, where did you move from before you lived in L.A.? I was living outside of D.C. in Maryland. OK, gotcha. So what made you just want to, like, rip the Band-Aid off and, and move out there? Because I, I remember I kind of did the same thing back in 2007. I was like, I gave myself like four months, saved some money and then just went. So what made you just say, you know, what, I'm just going to leave my job, go out here and build my business and, and go for it? Yeah, I think that the call that I felt is actually very similar to the call that Bree felt. And I think this is one of the ways that we really align um, is that we just knew that where we were living and the space that we were operating in was not going to take us to where we wanted to go. And I'm, you know, I can't speak for her, but for me, I came from a, a small town in Maryland. And you know, if I said to anyone, I'm a coach, they would look at me like, what do you mean? Like a basketball coach? Like, mm-hmm. what, what does that mean? And I wanted to be surrounding myself with spiritual entrepreneurs, with with go-getters that were fully grounded in their connectedness with the universe. Mm-hmm. And that type of conversation I was only finding online. And after a while, hiding behind Facebook <laughs> doesn't really nurture your soul. Mm-hmm. And that's why we started Amplify was because we wanted to get women off of the Internet, off of the computer, and use Facebook as a modality for in-person connection instead of the end result. And so, yeah, so I felt this drive. And Every time I actually had my boyfriend lived in LA for two years before I moved out here mm-hmm. and we were doing the long distance relationship, but I wasn't convinced that LA was the place for me. I was actually pretty adamant that I'm an East coast girl. Thank you very much. <laughs> I hear you. All you Californians are way too soft, way too nice. I, <laughs> not for me, but every time I visited LA, I fell more and more in love with the culture, the people, the, the drive people working two to three jobs in order to, you know, create this life that they've always wanted for themselves. I mean, it's a really cool city to live in. And, uh, yeah, it took two years, but I finally decided enough was enough. This was the place I needed to be. And, uh, I moved here and that was that. And, oh, and I have to say too, like the business coach I hired, I hired her also because she was in LA and she mm-hmm. had a network of women that could support, that I felt could support me in LA. And then lo and behold, I met Bree Seeley through her and it was, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. And Bree, let me ask you, what, where were you at in life when um, you decided to take that leap and hire a business coach? So I had been a fashion designer. I'd owned my own fashion company for about six years. um, And I'd been living in Olympia, Washington, which like Thais mentioned, you know, wasn't supporting me in my full greatness. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of did a similar thing where I gave myself nine months to figure my shit out and like get out of there. And I ended up in LA at the end of month eight. So I moved a month early and, uh, Ended up here and then was running my fashion business here, but woke up one day and just realized that it wasn't what I wanted to be doing. Like, I didn't like the industry. I wasn't excited by the work anymore. I was Mm -hmm. running myself ragged and just 
not happy at all. And uh, so I decided the I had gone to this workshop where I met Thais and, you know, was with this coach and I she wasn't my coach at the time, but I just went to this workshop and it was like three days later, I got like a really strong intuitive hit that I was supposed to close my fashion brand down. Mm-hmm. And when I get, st- when I get messages like that, I take them very seriously. But the problem was I didn't have any messages yet about what was on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so here I was supposing to shut down my, my company, but I didn't know what else there was. And so I made the bold move to shut down my company. I signed with this coach and then essentially just started figuring out from there what it was that I wanted to be doing, what I was going to be creating, what I was going to be teaching and mentoring about all that Mm -hmm. stuff. So I see. I see. Yeah. And I think that's I'm kind of like the one thing I'm trying to figure out for myself, I guess, through doing this podcast and talking to different creatives. is like what's kind of like the common thread between all of these different creatives from different backgrounds and things like that. Struggle. Yeah, (laughs) that's definitely one. That's definitely one. But also, too, when you get those hints, um, you know, like the alchemist, I know you guys mentioned that in one of the interviews as well. And it's a great book. I've talked to people about it as well, but kind of like those omens and like, okay, maybe I yep. should stop this and things like that. And even now in my life, I'm kind of like in an odd place. Like I'm starting to kind of get hints and things like that. So how do you find like, especially like in business to like shut something down and start new? How do you find like that current courage or that strength to make that move and actually listen to like your intuition on those things? For me, I take a very short-sighted approach to it. Mm-hmm. So I don't, you know, obviously I, I got the omen and listened to it and took action. Like I didn't look too far into the future of like, well, shit, if I do this today, what am I doing tomorrow or next week or mm-hmm. next month? Like I didn't even look that far in advance. I just kind of had this, for me, my intuition is coupled with like this deep sense of trust in the universe, mm-hmm. just knowing that if the universe is providing me a message that even if I can't see the full picture, that I trust that it's always going to work out in my favor because it always has and I believe it always will because Mm -hmm. I just have this deep-seated trust that the universe is always conspiring towards what's best for me. And I just go forth knowing that that's my truth and so regardless of if I'm not able to see the full picture, I still just take the action. Definitely. And let me ask you this. Has there ever been a time when the universe has given you those clues and you knew you should have acted on it, but you didn't? Oh, yeah. I can tell you all of Bree's stories. (laughs) (laughs) Can can we have an example of that? Because me personally, I've had so many stories of just, um, you know, the universe giving me hits and nudges and my intuition. And every time I go against it, it seems like it doesn't work out how things should. And every time I listen to it, it seems like things work out, even though I didn't know how they were going to work out. So can you give us just kind of like an example of like when you didn't yeah. listen to that, those nudges and, and what happened? I mean, the prime one that comes to mind immediately is that I had a day job the whole time I was running my fashion brand. Mm-hmm. And I knew when I said yes, I knew when I took the job that I didn't want it. Mm-hmm. And over the, I think, eight years that I had that job, I would get constant reminders that I didn't want to be there. And I kept staying and I kept staying and I kept staying because I would say like, oh, well, when this happens or oh, when that happens or oh, when I make X amount of money or whatever. Mm-hmm. And none of those things had come to pass yet. And of course, now what I know is that you have to believe it first and then you see it Mm -hmm. so I was waiting to see it and then I was going to believe in the possibility of it which is the opposite and so I stayed and stayed and stayed and stayed and I hated every second of it and I resisted leaving for so long 
that I always say, you know, if the universe is providing you hints and you choose not to take them, eventually the universe just gets out a two by four and fucking hits you as hard as it can. (laughs) And so what happened was that I got an email out of the blue one day that was like, hey, we just wanted to let to remind you that we're cutting your pay in half as of five days ago. Mm. And I was like, fuck. I, I, my pay is gone. Mm-hmm. Now I have no money. I don't want to be working at this job at $65 an hour, much less 30. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't have a plan. What am I going to do? And so, you know, I ended up collecting unemployment for six months and figuring it out. But, um, it was something where maybe had I taken the hints and had I listened a little bit sooner, I might not have had such an abrupt, end an abrupt, you know, painful issue of figuring out my money situation, you know, in arrears, essentially, mm-hmm. instead of planning for it. And yeah. Yeah, I, I totally get it. But let me play devil's advocate for a minute, I guess. What would you say to someone who's like, well, I have bills to pay, I have these obligations and things like that. So I can't just like quit my job because, you know, there's stuff out there too, that people say, well, you know, just work work on your passion after work you know from 7 to 11 every night and things like that so how would you suggest i mean i know every situation for people are different and things like that but how would you suggest like people balance that or make those decisions um yeah i let me take this one because i was there so i consider myself a reluctant entrepreneur Mm -hmm. uh because i never actually wanted to be on my own i thought i was gonna fail if i did that I thought I had to have uh, a corporate job to keep me secure and safe and structured in order for me to succeed in life. And so when I started getting the call that I was meant to be of service in this capacity, I denied it for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And um, and then I, I did ultimately take the leap because it got to the point where I just hated my job so much. I hated the people I worked with. No offense to them <laughs> if they're listening. Uh, I just it was I was not thriving, and I knew that I had to answer this call. And so I did take the leap of faith and went into my business full time without making the money I needed in order to succeed. And. I had to keep reminding myself that when you leap, the net appears and you will always be taken care of, but you first have to trust in it. Mm -hmm. And it's so easy to have these spiritual conversations about faith and love and, you know, the universe has your back. It's very easy to have faith when you're not testing it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like when you are in the comforts of your own house, you don't need to be to have faith. It's when you are uncomfortable that the call for faith is all the more important. Mm-hmm. And so to those people, I would say, you know, you are doing a disservice to the world by by preventing yourself from believing that you're capable of success. I've never let myself down in the 20 plus years that I've been on this planet. I've never let myself fail. So why do I think that I'm going to let myself fail in the future by saying yes to what I feel deeply called to do? That's that's amazing. I mean, I totally I totally understand and let me ask, do you feel that um, when you're getting those hints and those omens and those calls and you don't act on it and you stay in that job and you stay in that situation or relationship or whatever, that, um, you know, that can be cause for like anxiety and stress and depression and things like that? Oh, absolutely. Of course. I mean, I, there was a point, it was January of 2014 that I was on the phone with my mom and I had applied for some sort of like grant or something for my business and it didn't come through and I was on my bed bawling like I was so unhappy in my job and mind you I stayed with the job for a year and a half after that 
or no anyways like a year after that so mm-hmm. I was crying to my mom and she's like well since this money didn't come through it looks like you're gonna need to up your hours at work and I said mom have you ever done something every single day that literally makes you want to die yeah and I was at that point where I would have never harmed myself but I, I was so unhappy that I didn't want to be here anymore yeah so of course if you're doing something every single day that you hate then why would you why would you be joyful like you, th- that's prime for depression and anxiety and all sorts of health uh, you know issues, issues and yeah. all sorts of other things well and it's like you know there's a difference between your goals and your soul goal so your soul has its own ultimate purpose and and that's to be of the maximum capacity service for yourself and for the world mm-hmm. and you know when you're out of alignment with your soul goals when you just don't fucking feel good mm-hmm. and for many of us we are brilliant at surviving we're adaptable animals humans survive in the coldest of colds hottest of hots we find a way to make it work survival is not the question for us because that's our base we get we can do that Mm -hmm. the problem is too many of us think that that's the best that it can get and it's not we have to thrive and we thrive when we say yes to doing what feels good and trusting that by when we operate from that place we only attract good things to us and Brie and I see it every single day through our clients and through our when we say yes to doing more what feels good when we ask ourselves is this activity that I'm doing in my company and amplify right now is it feeling good and we say no and we stop doing it we give permission to actually honor our needs and we give permission for something new and more exciting to come into our lives and so I don't always suggest you know to my clients to just drop everything and quit your job you do have to take some responsibility for the repercussions of what that could look like and if you are miserable stop believing that at some point by doing nothing misery is just going to stop you have to actually take action and move towards what you want every single day or else you're just going to survive and that's just a waste of your capacity yeah and I found for myself personally like whenever I have something that basically nudges me and consumes me and I start to go on that journey or that path. Like as long as I'm doing something every day to work towards it, then I feel so much better because it's giving me energy. It's like giving me life to actually do that. And it's like when I don't have anything or I don't listen to those omens or whatever, it's just kind of like, uh, like I'm just waking up and just kind of going through the motions type things. So I feel like it's definitely important to um, like once you know what you want to do to go after it. But let's say somebody out there that's listening, they want to be like a writer or blogger or musician or whatever. And they, they're kind of toying with the idea, but they're not really sure if that's what they want to do. Pretty much they don't know what their passion is yet. So what would you say to someone who's like in a job that they hate? They don't know what their passion is. They don't know what they want to do, but they want to they know there's something more out there for them. Like, what would you say to those people? Start trying things. Yes. Like you're in the prime spot. To yes. Like figure it out. You've yes. Got, you know, yes, you hate your job, whatever. You have money coming in. Start like literally throwing shit at the wall and see what sticks. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like go take a painting class. Go take a ceramics class. Go write for a week. Go. I mean, there's a million different things that you could go experience. Go yep. play archery or horseback riding or mm-hmm. any of the things. Like just go fucking have fun and play and yep. see what you love. We heard someone speak a few weeks ago at this event who was saying he was in a similar spot and he didn't really know what his passion was, but he'd always been in martial arts and he just started like doing one-off sessions for people here and there. And, uh, and you know, over a period of, of time, he opened up his own 
um, boxing gym. And now he has one of the most successful boxing gyms in LA because he just, he just threw shit at the wall. Like he was saying he took a year to figure it out and he would just do stuff that felt good. And just saying yes to like fun Mm. things that felt good. Yeah. And this came out of nowhere. Like he never saw himself opening a boxing gym and he just did it because he realized it felt good and Mm -hmm. he was creating impact in the lives of others and he was having fun with it one of the things that i love to remind myself when i'm not feeling inspired to do what i say that i love doing is that the muse is not going to find me if i'm not writing Mm -hmm. you know it's like you need to be doing the work in order for the inspiration to come you can't just sit on your ass play video games and suddenly it's going to come to you for me when i knew that i wanted to be a, a spiritual teacher and a coach and go into this holistic conversation it was because i was bored as fuck i had no idea what i wanted to do in my life and my mom was like why don't you try going to a yoga class just go do something you're mm-hmm. making me miserable go and i went to my first ever vinyasa yoga class and that the the hour changed my life I came home and I was like, I'm going to teach yoga and the rest is history. you got to go. you got to just try it. Like Bree said, throw things against the wall and, and see what sticks, see what lands. At least you'll just get some really cool stories that you can tell people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I, I remember I can, I can totally relate to that because um, a few years ago, about two and a half years ago, I was just like in a rut. Like I was working out and things like that. I was like, I just got to try something totally different. I'm just scrolling Groupon and I saw actually a, a Groupon for a boxing gym. So I was mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to think about it. I just pulled my credit card out. I signed up for it. And it was like I had the most fun doing it. Like it was so sore. I was like soaking in Epsom salt like the next day and everything. But it was like, <laughs> but it was like I didn't know. Like I didn't know that I would like boxing and a workout and a challenge. But not only just not only just the workout, but like what I've learned from it of being coached and pushing myself that hard physically, which I didn't think I could do at that time and, and things like that. So you never know where it's gonna, you know, where that inspiration is gonna come from and where like life lessons are gonna come from. So I totally agree. Well- And that's one thing that we've loved about forming Amplify. So Amplify started, like I said, as one-off events, and now it's turned into a membership. Mm -hmm. And one of the coolest things now is that we're partnering with other companies to provide all of these awesome experiences for our members. So like in June, we hosted a spin. We we got sponsored by a company to go host a spin class in their space. Mm -hmm. And I'd never been spinning before. Had you ever been spinning before? No, I have not. And we had so much fun. Like, it was just such a blast. And we all got to try it out. We're doing another spin event, I think, next month. We, um... Just we're partnering with these like crazy things to do all these activities that like we want to do a boxing gym. We are doing a yoga event this month. We're like doing all of this fun stuff to bring women together and just like literally have a good time with life, not talk about work, not really do business and just like enjoy the shit out of life and the city that we live in. And it all happened because we chose to say yes to doing one event. Mm -hmm. It's not like Amplify and the whole inspiration around our membership and the whole business model came to us that first night. We just decided to commit to doing it again and again and again. The ideas come, the inspiration come, the model comes with my clients and they're like, oh, I want to be a coach. Well, then start coaching. Mm -hmm. Start coaching as many people as you can possibly coach, like a 100-day project. Can you coach 100 people in 100 days? Because the more that you coach, the more you're going to figure out your niche. You're going to figure out what you like to do. You're going to figure out the people you like to work with. Mm -hmm. That doesn't come by researching on a computer what other people's niches are or niches or whatever the word is. So, you know, you just got to try it. Keep trying it. Keep going. Keep playing with it. You make a mistake, give yourself permission to change your mind. We change our minds 
all the time. Well, and one thing too is just keep showing up, which yeah. is essentially what we did. I mean, we hosted one event and then we showed up for another one and we showed up for another one and another one and another one. And like, even on the ones that weren't that great or that were like, wow, we could have improved that a lot. We still showed up the next month. Like not everything's going to come to you all at once. Not everything's going to look perfect, but you have to keep persevering. Yeah. And let's un, uh, unpack the Amplify Collective a little bit. So was the first event, was that just kind of like something like, hey, let's try this? Or were you guys officially formed then? Or how did that whole um, so process kind of go? Yeah, so I had just moved to L.A. And I wanted to network with other amazing women in L.A. And I'm an introvert. So the idea of going to like a beige room, a hotel lobby. Mm -hmm. And, and meeting new people felt just like really gross to me. And so I wouldn't do it. I'd put it on my calendar and then that night be like, oh, but I'm lazy. And then that go. Uh, and so then the other alternative really to networking is to go to workshops and conferences and hope that you meet people. But it, it, they're not structured to meet people. So I wasn't really getting anywhere with that. Mm -hmm. And so as the leader that I am, I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to throw my own fucking event and I'm going to be the boss and I'm going to create it the way I want to create it. And so I decided to do a happy hour event, a dinner slash happy hour event at the restaurant right below my building. Because then if no one showed up, I just go right back up the elevator. Mm -hmm. And uh, I put it on Facebook and it kind of went right viral. I mean, I had over 60 people say they were going to come. And again, I didn't really know many people in LA. So for me, that was a pretty significantly big deal. Mm -hmm. The problem was the day before the event, I got food poisoning oh. and I didn't know what to do. It was I going to cancel this event that all these people said that they were going to attend. What do I do? And, uh, so I called out Bree and I said, Hey Bree, you know, we were at that point just getting to know each other. And I was like, would you help me run this event? I don't even know if I'll be able to participate, but I, I will try. I just need someone who will take ownership and she did it was so incredible considering the fact that we're quote-unquote competitors she c came in with her assistant she checked people in she owned the room like she was a fucking boss and I managed to come down for for the remaining part of the night and we just had so much fun together mm -hmm. and there was just such chemistry between our work and we just enjoyed the atmosphere and afterwards we we're like all right let's do that again and so the next one we did a dinner party and at that dinner party uh, we realized how good it was to be like really intimate with this 14 women. So then we did another and another. <laughs> and then, so we ended up, so that was August and August was the first one and then September. And then we launched tickets, October, November, December mm -hmm. and October sold out three weeks early. November sold out five weeks early and December sold out like eight weeks early. Nice. Yeah. After only having two events and we were like, holy shit. Like there's something that we're doing that's working. Yeah. Clearly we're serving a need in this expansive city as an opportunity for women to come together and network. And we call it unnetworking because we allow our women to talk about who they are and not just what they do. And that relieves the pressure of the elevator pitch. It mm -hmm. relieves the pressure of having to be, if you are multi-passionate, to, to have to pin yourself down to one thing. And so it took about, I think, six six dinner parties, six or seven dinner parties when we decided that this is something we need to start doing as a business. Mm -hmm. And then that was what, in January, was when we decided that this was an actual business. And then soon after is when we both got the divine download to create a membership, and we launched that in April. 
Great. I love to, I love to hear the progression and how things started, especially when it started kind of organically and things like that. But you said something that was really interesting to me. You said that she came to help you out with the event, even though you guys were kind of competition. So, you know, like if you read any like kind of business book from like the 80s or 90s, you know, it's always <laughs> like mine, 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 you know, and it yep. seems like around like post 2000, it's been more centered around like community and giving and things like that. So how do you how do you feel it would have worked if she would have said, do you think it would have worked if she'd be like, no, I'm not going to do that because you're my competition. And then what kind of value do you see in like a collaborative atmosphere, even if you guys are in the same space, operating in the same space, knowing that the universe will provide for both of you guys and what you do separately as well as together? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing for us is that we just, it's really important for each of us to believe in abundance. Mm -hmm. And so if we believe in abundance wholeheartedly, then you you cannot believe in abundance and believe in competition at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so um, we just have really owned this idea of abundance and you know whoever is meant and called to work with Thais within the group will work with her if you know if people want to work with me they'll work with me and uh, we've even started working together too we've started coaching together and we just I don't I don't know if we ever even entertained the idea of competition did we no just from the context of wow we're doing something really novel because Mm -hmm. most people really step into the place of competition and you know we're we're human of course I have experiences of jealousy and of course I have experiences of oh my gosh like what if she's more successful than me and and who am I of of course because that's part of being in partnership is learning what it looks like to be in your own power while being in partnership and, and supporting someone else and Mm -hmm. so of course those thoughts come up for me and I'm sure they come up for Brie but the best part is that we get to use them as a spiritual mirroring for where we're stepping in lack and not abundance so as opposed to me believing that if I have the thought of oh my gosh you know Brie is better coach than me or, or whatever instead of believing that and then shying away from my business I see it as oh that's so interesting I'm clearly stepping in lack right now so let me reevaluate and have this conversation with myself and shift this perspective because I know that I bring a lot of value and worth as a coach as does she and we complement each other beautifully and that there is more than enough to go around and we've never had a lack of clients like Brie mm-hmm. and I have never experienced a, la- a physical lack and so that's also a really good reminder. Like if Brie is experiencing a successful launch, that means it's clearly I'm capable of that too and mm-hmm. vice versa. Yeah, I think it's very important to uh, get past like the scarcity mindset. I know I've struggled with it for years and had just, I've spent a lot of time to get past it because it's like, I mean, especially like in music or even like photography, it's like when you're, putting something out there. I was like, well, if that guy, you know, gets to do songs with these people, then that takes it away from me, which is not necessarily the case. You know, there's so many people in the world approaching 7 billion, probably more than that now. And then, you know, there's always going to be ears. There's always going to be coaching clients. There's always going to be people who want to see your photos, listen to your songs, read your books and things like that. So you have, once you step into that place of abundance, I think it helps you to be a little bit more free in the way you operate and it opens you up to more opportunities as well. Yeah, and not to say that, like, this was an overnight thing for either of us. Both of us have worked very hard and very diligently on our abundance practices. Mm -hmm. Like, we have both completely changed our stories around abundance. And I think that's part of what's allowed us to come into this partnership so powerfully is that we just don't entertain the idea that there's not enough. Yeah. And even with, you know, there's a ton of other women in Los Angeles starting membership groups. And, you know, people are like, oh, aren't you worried? 
no, we don't really care. Mm-hmm. Like, we literally don't care. We don't. Well, A, I've never been one to focus on what other people are doing because I kind of don't, like, I'm not going to compare myself to them. I kind of don't care in that respect. Mm-hmm. But also, like, how many people live in Los Angeles? Like, not everyone can be a member of, like, just one membership group. There's yeah. so many people. There's so many women in Los Angeles. <laughs> That, you know, all of the membership groups could be full and we could still have more membership groups because there are so many people in this city. Well, and I always say, I I say this to myself and to my clients all the time. It's like there is going to be someone better than you. Mm-hmm. Just guess what? There is going to be someone out there that is better than you in any way, shape, or form that you think you're really good at. And to me, that's a form of like reminder that you don't have to be the best in order to be successful. You don't have to be the the most important person in the world in order to make all the money and make all the impact that you want to make. It's not about being the best. It's about giving your best. It's mm-hmm. not about believing that you have to be the only one. It's believing that you have to be the only the only you in the world and when I shift that it kind of gives me some space around what I'm doing and I don't have to look at what other people are doing because I'm doing my best Mm -hmm. and that's enough for me right now yeah I I totally agree with that for sure and kind of I guess something along the same lines of of what we're talking about here I was listening to you guys' podcast and you're talking about um, being comfortable like with the results um, of what you do and not trying to control the outcome so it's like for me, I know, speaking personally, I've always like had visions in my head of how I wanted things to go from, you know, middle school, asking a girl out to, you know, <laughs> career wise and all that kind of stuff. And it didn't go that way. And I had to learn how to, you know, just do what I can do, give my all, put my best into it and just live with the outcome. So how did you guys, was that like an aha moment when you're like, okay, I need to start working on this? Or was it just something that kind of evolved over the years of just like, doing your best and then just being comfortable and living with the outcome and taking it for what it is. I mean, it's definitely a process and something we still both deal with, I know, on a regular basis. But, um, you know, luckily we're here to remind each other that sometimes we don't always get what we want. Mm Mm-hmm. But usually the universe gives us what we need. All the time. Yeah. So, (laughs) you know, there, there are, again, like my divine trust in the universe, I have this, this crazy notion that everything is always perfect. Mm -hmm. And so if I get presented with a situation that's less than ideal, I almost have to take a step back and look at it and say, all right, well, if I believe that everything's perfect all the time and that the universe knows what it's doing, how can I judge that this situation or circumstance is quote unquote wrong? And don't get me wrong. I still get into the like, why is this happening? I just want, you know, perfection and all Mm -hmm. of my things that I want all the time. And, you know, sometimes we need to be handed some things that maybe we can't see why, again, seeing the big picture, we don't see why they're benefiting us. But there's some divine plan that is going hand in hand with it. And we just trust that that's how it's supposed to be. I mean, there's tons of things with Amplify that haven't worked out, quote unquote, like we wanted to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they've been absolutely perfect. And one of the things that I do a lot of work around is the conversation of emotions. And when we experience a disappointment where we had an expectation or a desire for it to be a certain way and it falls short, um, yes, we, we can. it's very easy to say, well, it's working out for the best. And, and that's true. 
But in that moment, it feels very real, and it mm-hmm. feels almost like a loss, like a grief mm-hmm. that we are disappointed. And I often allow space for that in my life. Disappointment, grief, loss—those are all very normal feelings. And when I try to band-aid the idea that it's all happening for a greater reason on top of my grief, mm-hmm. then what I'm saying is I'm not trusting my emotions. I don't trust who I am, and that's the core. One of the core elements of feeling unworthy um, is we can't. We're feeling these emotions and we are labeling them as we shouldn't be feeling it. And so we stop being able to trust our intuition and trust the communication of our emotions through us. And so if your listeners are experiencing disappointment or loss in any capacity where you wanted something, you didn't get it, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to give space to that. And only after you do a thorough present grieving can you then move on, you know, put on the right mindset and keep at it. Yeah, you actually answered my uh, my next question, but you, I mean, that's perfect way to look at it for sure. And, um, you know, I've had situations like that as well. And for the longest time, I didn't allow myself to kind of grieve, you know, the failure and then move on from it. And it kind of lingered longer than it should have. So I do think you should give yourself time, evaluate what happened, see what worked, see what didn't. And then you can use that as a lesson to for your next endeavor. Totally. Uh, certainly. So um, you also guys said in, in, in your podcast, um, it was an interesting concept. It was called uh, where you said, you know, creativity from limitation. So like for me, it seems like a lot of times the most creative times in my life is when there was like nothing going on. And like I had limited resources. I had to make something out of nothing. And and I've learned from that. And I, now I even actually schedule like limited amount of time sometimes to be creative because I know if I only have like two hours of work on something, I can't procrastinate and things like that. So was there any like moments in your life or can you give some examples of like when great things and great creativity came from moments of uh, limitation in your life? Well, I will say that, you know, options, get too many options is probably the worst thing for Mm -hmm. humankind. Because, I mean, I think we've all had the experience of, like, going into CVS and looking for toothpaste. I mean, you have a bajillion option of toothpaste, and they all seem to do the exact same thing, and you have no idea which one's better. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can spend up to an hour deciding on the different shampoo and razor and toothpaste that I want. Because too many options just doesn't do us justice. And so on the opposite side of that, when we are limited, when we don't have all the resources available to us, we find ways to make it work. And for me, when I first moved out here, like I had said, I wasn't making the, the money that I needed to be making to succeed. And so I was very limited in what, in terms of, finances Mm -hmm. and I had to get scrappy I had to like get my butt on the phone and call people and invite them to work with me I had no other option and that scrappiness that decision to remove my ego and to make those phone calls and to put myself out there is no doubt what has allowed me to be confident in who I am and the products and services that I offer to the world and Bree's one of my biggest inspirations for that she's always on the phone I'm here texting, emailing, like I like to, you know, like use my technology and she always gets on the phone. And yeah, when we compare notes, she always, not always, but for the most part, gets more done because Mm -hmm. she gets on the phone, she makes it happen and then she hangs up. And so that's something that I'm learning from her every single day, which is we often deny ourselves the the opportunity to make greater impact because Mm -hmm. it requires us to get uncomfortable. I made our intern do it today. She was like, oh, I need to know this thing like from this person. 
And I was like, you should email. And then I was like, no, no, no. Just call them. I was like, mm-hmm. we want an answer immediately. I don't want to wait for the person to check their email and blah, blah, blah. I said, call them. She got the woman on the phone. A minute later, we had the answer. And she got to send the email that she needed to send. Like, I love that stuff. And for me, um, the scrappiness has come in that, you know, I haven't had the finances to really support all of the different areas of my business that I've needed. And Mm -hmm. so I've had to be super creative about how do I get a website made and how do I get all my marketing done and how do I write all my copy and how do I have all my social media run? And so for me, what it's looked like is having to learn all of that shit. Mm-hmm. Like I can, um, oh, Tice is Snapchatting us while we're talking. <laughs> um, Catching it live. Yeah. So um, I've had to learn all of those things because I didn't have the resources to provide it. And so that limitation for me has caused me to learn all of those things. And now I'm at a point where I can start outsourcing those things. But it's super cool because I know those people's jobs already. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting ready to outsource all my social media. And I know what works for my social media because I've done it for the last seven years. Mm-hmm. And so when I outsource it to her, she's going to get a whole rundown of this is what works. This is what doesn't work. I would love your insights and I would love to see how you know you can help me grow all this stuff. But like I've already done it. Mm-hmm. I've already built all of my own websites. It's, um, that's how I've had to be creative. And And let me ask you, do you think that it was uh, like, do you think that it was important that you were kind of forced to have to learn that so that you can relate that information and you know exactly what should be done and things like that? Because a lot of times people are like, well, I'm too good for this. I shouldn't be, you know, having to post this online. Some intern should do this for me and things like that. And they got their ego in the way. So how important is it to get past that ego to dive in and actually learn, like, especially when you're running a business, like every aspect of the business. So when you do hire up for it, you can, you know, communicate with the people and make clear what you want. I think it's really important. It's I crucial. Mean, I think it's it's so important for me to know every aspect of my business and honestly too, like what it takes to run a business. Like I know what my social media person's gonna be going through. I'm just mm-hmm. hiring a bookkeeper. I know what she's gonna be going through because I've done it. And there's some level of just I think general understanding that yes I don't believe that you should do it all yourself for for the entirety of your business Mm -hmm. but I think it's really important to at least have a basic understanding of what it takes to run every aspect of a successful business well and and it sucks a lot of times I don't want to do my finances I don't want to do my finances yeah but like the fact that I've done them, I feel like makes me a better entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Well, and you never want to get caught in a situation where you rely on someone for a very crucial part of your business and they get shut, shut through and then they can't show up and you're in the middle of a launch and you have no idea how to work your email system because mm-hmm. they've been doing it. You know what I mean? You never want to be caught looking stupid because, or, yeah. or sacrificing the product because you don't know. Knowledge is power. It's important that you know. You don't have to be an expert and we definitely believe in delegation. We definitely believe in putting people that do really good job at the things that you don't like to do so you can spend more time in your zone of excellence we, or genius or whatever. We totally get that and at the beginning it's important that you understand and mm-hmm. you know so that you can direct them and uh, support them. Yeah, I totally agree 100% for sure. Um, let me let me ask you guys a kind of slightly different question. I've always asked this um, on the podcast of different people and, and get totally different answers. So it's always interesting um, to get different people's perspective on it. But let's talk about success for a minute. What is 
like your guys' definitions of success and have you had to, you know, redefine it from the, I guess, status quo definition of success for so many years of like a lot of money, cars, big houses and things like that. Like, can what? You- Those are all my successes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I definitely have up until even just a year ago, my definition of success was paying all my bills in full on time every month. Mm-hmm. And when you're an entrepreneur, it doesn't always work that way. Yeah. Like, I have credit card debt, and so I was defining my my success by that. And so for so long, despite the fact that like I was on the Today Show and I was being featured in all these places and writing for the Huffington Post and all these things, I didn't see myself as a success. Mm-hmm. And it was a really interesting mindset shift for me to start defining my success not by my finances and not by the amount that was in my bank. And um, it's interesting now that I have increased my financial abundance that, you know, I feel, I almost feel the same as I felt when I didn't have the financial abundance. Like, and so I think that for me, it was finding happiness and finding peace despite the number in my bank account, you know? I mean, I, a lot of my success is tied deeply to my gratitude practice and really looking around every single day and being like, holy shit, I'm about to move into my dream apartment. I am driving my dream car. Like I have a beautiful office. I have a phenomenal business partner. I mean, really deep, beautiful relationships (laughs) in my life. I'm healthier than I've ever been in my like just so many things. And so my gratitude practice, I think, reminds me every day of how successful I am, even if it doesn't quote unquote look like I had thought it was supposed to look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for for me, you know, I'm, I think I come from a very society structured personality. And by that, I mean, like, for most of my life, my idea of success was what I think most of us view success as the cars and the money and the house. Mm-hmm. And it's just so fascinating how the more I get what I want, the less I realize that's, that that matters. Um, and so I, I've come to understand that my state of being is a much better indicative of my level of success than what I'm accumulating and what I am doing. And so am I? if I have the house that I want, but I still yell at my boyfriend, mm-hmm. is that really me being successful? And so I've had to really step back and ask myself, how do I want to be in this world? Yes, life is going to throw stresses and yes, life is going to be challenging because that's life. But I get to choose how I want to operate in this space and I get to choose how I want to react and how I want to be. And I want people to see me as kind and generous and mm-hmm. fun and loving and, and lighthearted. I want people to see me as, you know, just grounded and, and nurturing. And I often have to come back to that's what's more important to me. I would rather have zero money in my bank account but have found joy in a sunset than have a million dollars and never get to see the ocean. Yeah, and what I find uh, really interesting about that and, and a lot of things that you want to be as a person is that to do those things, like, I mean, people can go out and make money in, in a million sleazy ways or whatever and have the house and the cars, but to be able to be grounded and to be grateful and to be caring and loving that it's really comes from winning over yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you can win over yourself every day and it's not always going to be easy, then, you know, all those other things in life can come and can come in a way that you're comfortable with and are proud of 
and can even leave a legacy from. So that's kind of how I like approach it as well. So I, I think that's a very interesting perspective on it's not always just it's not about the money, because like you said, as you start to get more like, uh, OK, this is cool. Like I'm here now. So what's next? But if you're well, always. And, and there's a psychological study that shows that um, what you get now has no long term effect on your level of happiness. Mm -hmm three months from now, which yep. means that if you win the lottery today, three months from now, you're going to be in the same level of happiness that you are today. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's clearly shown that stuff isn't what gets us happy. This happens to me literally every day where I'm like, oh my God, I need this dress. Oh my God, I need these shoes. I need it. Like I need these shoes. And then I get the shoes and then I come home, I wear it once and I'm like, okay, I'm ready for my next shoes. You know, like mm -hmm. we're always seeking this, this rush that happens when we get new stuff. And so, for me, I've learned to replace that rush with a connection to God or a universe or whatever you want to call it, my highest self, my highest mm -hmm. truth. But when I am connected to what it feels like to be my best self, nothing else matters. I get a no, it doesn't phase me. Someone honks at me, I don't care. Yeah. It's a state of being. And I think however way that we can achieve that state of being on a daily basis, we're just going to be better human beings. And maybe we won't see the shit that's happening all over the world, you know? Mm -hmm. Certainly. And let me ask you this. Let's um, kind of speak to like aspiring like artists out there, writers, bloggers, just creatives in general. Let's go back to say when you graduated high school, you just walked across the stage. But instead of that time with technology and the resources, let's say you had 2016 technology and resources at your disposal. Would there have been anything different that you would have done? And how would you have used those resources for your career? I mean, so I'm one that I... I don't look back and someone asked me the other day, do you wish you would have done anything differently? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, no, because if I hadn't, uh, you know, I went to college in North Dakota, which by the way, was not glamorous. <laughs> I don't think anyone imagined if it to be glamorous. <laughs> like had I not gone to school in North Dakota, then I wouldn't have ended up living in Europe for two years. Mm -hmm. And had I not lived in Europe for two years, I probably wouldn't have moved to the teeny tiny town in, in, in Washington that I moved to. Mm -hmm. And had I not moved there, I wouldn't have found my spiritual path. And had I not found that, you know, I might not have started my fashion brand. And had I not started that, then I might not be coaching right now and have moved to Los Angeles and all of these things. And so I personally don't think, like, I wouldn't look back and, and wish any change. Um, I love social media and I think it's a really great tool and I've used it really well but like um I don't know I wouldn't I'll say this I'll say this so I completely agree with Brie but I will say this if I could go back and give myself advice and give myself just a little nudge I would remind myself of something that my dad told me a long time ago I was trying to decide my my major in college because you know to an 18 year old that's like the biggest decision you've ever mm -hmm. had to and I didn't know what I wanted to study. And so I was thinking about going in as undecided. And he goes, never be undecided. Decide, commit, do it fully. Mm -hmm. And the faster you, the more you commit, the faster you'll recognize whether that's something you want to do or not. Then you can change courses. And as, as much as that was very wise, I didn't really understand it until now at how brilliant that wisdom is. And mm -hmm. if there's something that I could if I could encourage all of you listeners to really do is just fully commit. Where in your life are you not fully committing? Where are you dabbling? Where are you pretending to exist mm -hmm. when you're not really showing up? Just like Bree said, show up, commit, 
and you'll soon recognize if it's not working. Like only when you really commit to a partner do you do you get to find out if he's the partner for you or not. Mm -hmm. You know, you really have to go all in. Stop, stop shallow living. Shit, stop that shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, I agree. Like I kind of ask that question because I'm always interested to see where people's heads are at. But I mean, even in my life, I would never, I wouldn't change a moment of it because I know I wouldn't be here right now in this moment if I changed anything. So it's always interesting just to kind of see what, what people say because I, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer to it, but I think the cool, the cooler answer is I wouldn't change anything because it made me who I am. There's only one thing I regret. I only regret one thing. I, sh I would not have bought a house. I bought a house when I was 26 and that's the only thing I would change. But mm -hmm. nope. I clearly bought it for a reason. I don't know what I was supposed to learn from it, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. So, the uh, one time I smoked crack, probably regret that. <laughs> yeah, you, you probably, there's probably a couple of regrets. Yeah, I hear you. But um, <laughs> look, so I'm, I'm real big on a growth mindset, and obviously you two ladies are as well. So what are some things that you do on a you know daily, weekly, monthly basis to grow you know professionally as <laughs> as well as um, you know um, personally as well. Yeah. yeah, we um, so when we ended with our coach, uh, I looked at Thais and I said, I don't want to stop growing, but I'm not ready to invest with another coach yet. So what are we going to do so that we can keep on this upward trajectory that we've been going on? And so we called up two of our girlfriends in Los Angeles. I feel like we didn't even really know them that well at that time, but we like saw within them the same things we see within ourselves and within each other. Mm -hmm. And we said, listen, we want to start a mastermind. It's only going to be the four of us. It's going to be democratic. There's not a leader. You know, it's going to, we're going to take turns every week of who's leading that week. And we're going to teach each other things and, you know, just support each other. And so we started that in October, I think. November, November of, last of, year. Yeah. of last year. And now we've labeled ourselves the business besties. Mm -hmm. And we take retreats together. This weekend we're going to the beach and we are spending three full days just like business planning and strategy and pro content creation and all sorts of stuff. And it's, I can't tell you what it's like to have a community around you when you're a solopreneur. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because most days I'm alone. I only see my cats. I like you know, don't leave the house or whatever. And it's so nice to have a group of fellow growing entrepreneurs. And the four of us individually have kicked ass this year. And mm -hmm. I fully attribute it to the fact that we have formed this bond. And our I've, one of my favorite analogies lately is the rising tide raises all ships. And so when one of us does well, all of us do well. And mm -hmm. the four of us are like totally kicking ass, supporting each other, cheering for each other doing great things in our own businesses i mean it's just it's one of the best things so um and in terms of books i mean i'm a big avid reader i read all the time all day and um i actually had to really transition myself because i was consuming a lot of information from the perspective of this person clearly knows more than me mm -hmm. and they're gonna teach me the ways of the world and it, it it robbed me of my own brilliance and it came from a place of unworthiness and I had to shift that perspective because I was reading these books and losing my power. I was reading these books thinking, who am I? Mm -hmm. And so I, I transitioned to consuming books and I still love books. The Alchemist is one of my number one favorite books. I know it's Breeze too. And I shifted to this person is brilliant and they will remind me of the truth I already know. And there's nothing new outside of me. So if I read a book, it's coming from the place of, 
of that, of they're mm -hmm. just reminding me what I already know. And that really changed a lot of things for me. That That's interesting because I have like a, I guess a thought or a question that I've been kind of working through in my head. And I wasn't, I didn't even write it down to ask you guys, but um, I guess a, about a week ago, I woke up. Like a, a, Oh, Sorry. It's all good. I woke up I'm about <laughs> I woke up at like three in the morning and I had just this uh just this thought in my head that energy is neither destroyed nor created, it's just transferred. And that's just like what the law of thermodynamics, whatever physics, which I literally know like barely anything about. So I don't know why it was in my head. But <laughs> and the the thing that's funny about it was that over the last like twenty days I've literally listened to like over two days worth of like audiobooks and stuff. So it's like, I kind of understand that perspective of like taking in all of this massive amount of information and being like, well, am I not good enough? Like my story's not like this and, and things like that. So how, when mm -hmm. you're, when you're taking in all of those books, um, cause it actually put me in a funky mood for like the last four or five days, to be honest. Mm -hmm. so, so how did you like kind of get past that and realize like I could still learn from these people, but I might need to step back from this and, you know, maybe not consume so much and just understand and live in my own worthiness, my own path and journey. Yeah, I had to go on an information detox. Mm -hmm. So I unsubscribed to the 500 people that I had subscribed to. Mm -hmm. I stopped reading books that are that are um, nonfiction. So right now I'm focused only on fiction books. Um, and I really, I, I, Brie and I both use um, something called Newsfeed Eradicator on Chrome. It's a Chrome extension that removes your Facebook newsfeed. Mm -hmm. I unfollowed 99% of the Facebook pages I was following. Um, I had Instagram, a, accounts. Instagram accounts. I unfollowed a lot of people, even friends, because it just I, it was too much. Mm -hmm. So I unfollowed. I gave myself permission to to not let them take it personal. Um, and I, I really had to sit with who I am and what my contribution is to the world. And now I've, now I'm not so extreme. I can, I can read a book if I want to, but I notice that the sh energy shifts at any point that I'm consuming this information mm -hmm. from I'm powerful to wow, this person's more powerful than me. I clearly don't have anything to give to the world. The minute I see that energy shift, I close the book mm -hmm. and I disconnect from it and I go back to doing what makes me feel good. And so it's coming back home again again and again and again and noticing when someone is drawing you out or something and choosing to come back because there is no no truth that is not your own there is no truth mm -hmm. everything is just a reflection of you and so yes you need to go within and, and yes you already have the truth but sometimes we forget and that's what books should do that's mm -hmm. their role is to remind us of what we already know not tell us that we're bad or we're wrong mm -hmm. and if that's the energy that we're doing it then we need to stop because it's not supporting our being and uh, also to touch on, I guess, the mastermind and that whole thought of the, you know, the energy is not created or destroyed, just transferred for as far as like you, you four ladies working together and supporting each other and things like that. Do you feel that that has you said like the tide raises all ships and things like that? Do you feel that your life would be different if you guys weren't working together in that capacity and supporting each other and and surrounding yourself with you know positivity and encouragement and things like that? Absolutely. I mean, I can, I don't, you know, obviously don't fully attribute, but a lot of my successes this year come from the fact that I'm spending all this time with these amazing women and we're all celebrating each other's successes. And even if they're not my successes, celebration begets celebration. And uh, it's been an amazing year of a, spending time with these amazing women. We try to have a monthly uh, sisterhood date where we just go and like, so Earlier this year, we went paddleboarding together and we like, so we combine business and pleasure, but we just 
kick ass and we support each so other. Good. And like, <laughs> I would not be where I am today if we hadn't committed to this mm-hmm. mastermind. And what I love about it too is that there's no leaders. Yeah. None of us are above the other. And it gives us a real space of vulnerability without feeling like we have to, we're being coached all the time. And mm-hmm. that feels really nice too. Yeah, yeah, certainly. So I have one more question. Um, it's definitely kind of more for me than maybe somebody listening as well, but um, <laughs> I'm a gay, my, my fiance is a graphic designer. I'm a creator. I, you know, do video and photography work and things like that. So how can a, how can a man support like a strong creative mm. wo- woman in this day and age? Good question. <laughs> I'm going to let Thais take this one. Oh, I love this. Oh, gee, you're putting it on me? Well, you're, I'm, so I'm single and I'm not like, I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in this situation by any means. So I would say the best thing you can do is to do your own work Mm -hmm. and to use your relationship as a mirror for yourself. You know, it's so easy to blame and look at others as the wrong person. It's so easy to be like, wow, you're, you're bitch crazy. I'm okay. So why are you reacting like you're crazy? Um, And instead ask yourself, how may I be responsible for this? How, what, what is my contribution to this? And if something is triggering within you about that person, what is coming up for you? Mm-hmm. And the more that you do that work and stand in that truth of who you are, the more you're going to be able to be loving to her and, and love her without wanting to change her. When we want to change other people, when we, when we get triggered around other people, it's just because we can't really hold space for ourselves yet. And so I think that that's the best indicator of a powerful man that can support a powerful woman is they're doing their own work and they're taking responsibility for, for how, how the relationship unfolds. Sign Perfect. me up for one of those. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let, the, uh, let everybody know where they can find you at your websites and uh, social media and everything like that. So our website is theamplifycollective.com and all of our socials are the Amplify Co. So the T-H-E-A-M-P-L-I-F-Y-C-O. And we're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Snapchat. Snapchat. Yep. We're on all the socials. Yep. All right. Awesome. Thank you guys so much for coming on to the show. I definitely learned a lot. I think it was a great conversation. And I know our listeners will too as well. So I definitely appreciate it. Yeah. Thank, thank you. you for having us. So there you have it. That was episode 12 of the Creative Masters podcast featuring Bree and Thais of the Amplified Collective. I hope you guys got a lot out of this episode. I know I did, and I was deeply inspired by the episode. So thank you, ladies, for coming on. As usual, I can be found on Instagram at Nobody Famous as well as Twitter at Nobody Famous. And don't forget to follow Machine Masters at Machine Masters and MachineMasters.com if you're into music production and songwriting and looking to learn a little bit more about your craft and be a part of a dope community. As usual, please feel free to share this episode. And until next week, this is Reggie, a.k.a. Nobody Famous. Peace.